Now there's a brand new web page, especially for this podcast. The Politocrat Daily Podcast can now be found on thepolitocrat.com. A brand new page that centralizes all of the places that you can listen to this podcast. The major platforms and many others at thepolitocrat.com. Lots of content that you can see there right now and every single day. So subscribe now to the Politocrat Daily Podcast and make sure you visit thepolitocrat.com. Thank you. Welcome to the Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Saturday, January the 23rd. 2021. I'm okay. You're not in pain? No, not really. I feel it now. If you had a bout scheduled for two months from now, you'd have had to cancel it, right? They would cancel it. I would be able to fight, but I think... um, The people would allow an injured fighter to go in the ring. Concerning that, this may be of news to you. I don't know. I spoke to our mutual friend Jim Gray today, Mm -hmm. who worked the fight Saturday night, the Holofield-Mora fight, and who spoke to the chairman of the Nevada Athletic Commission and others all of whom said that what you said the other night is not true. You're not banned for life. If you continue to act in the exemplary fashion you are, they expect you to fight again. Um, well, that sounds good. It's the first time I ever heard that. But from um, my acknowledgement, and I'm sure from your acknowledgement and anybody else's acknowledgement, everybody uh, was under the conclusion I was banned for life. But So that's so nice. So I have to be good what I have to do. So wait a minute. No, they said you're doing fine. You're, not, you're staying out of trouble. Does that bother you to be, at your age, to be told, stay out of trouble? You know, it's just, you know, listen, it's very ironic that um, my personal life has nothing to do with um, any pranks that happen inside the ring. But, you know, I mean, if that's what I have to do, you know, I'm going to be very good. I'm going to be a good boy. Are you glad nice. to hear that that's what they said? I'm, I'm quoting now. This is not exact quote. But, it is never but they been. said you are not banned for life. You're under a misconception, if you think that. Well, and um, you're going to have a hearing, right, next year? That automatic? Um, yeah, but I, I don't know anything about that. But when the hearing happens and I'm reinstated, that would be great. Are you? I'll pe- jump for joy. You're pessimistic, though. I'm very pessimistic. Man. That was Mike Tyson with Larry King, who passed away early today in Los Angeles, California. Larry King was 87 years of age. Talk show host extraordinaire, a personality all his own, and one of Brooklyn's finest. Coming up, remembering Larry King. He had been in the business of talk for 63 years. Now, he has left the stage that and more coming up next I fall astray sometimes we mustn't take for granted Van Holtz was an incredible fighter you just can't take that away but um, I know me at my best he wouldn't stand a chance. <laughs> Were you impressed with him the other night? Yeah, I liked that. Good fight? Yeah. 
you like Mor Moro was very brave in that fight. Yeah, but um, that was interesting. He's an interesting guy, Michael Moore. He's an interesting guy. Well, how do you mean? Um, I don't know. <laughs> when he was fighting, he was, come on, come on, come on. And I remember he did that in the first fight. But I thought Van der Holyfield won the first fight. You know what I mean? I thought, you did? Yeah, I you thought he won that fight. I thought he won the first fight. When we come back, the Mike Tyson story. There's lots to talk about on Larry King Live. Don't go away. Welcome back. Larry King. From November 12th, 1997. With Mike Tyson. Iron Mike Tyson. Who had been not too long released from prison. Serving a, I believe, five-year sentence uh, for rape as you may remember, of the uh, of De Desiree Washington. But the questions you heard from Larry King were about boxing. I think there was a fight that had been on and Mike Tyson had been invited on. And he was talking about his life, talking about himself. But that voice of Larry King... Larry King had that unmistakable tone. And that voice was so synonymous with, synonymous with uh, assurance and confidence. The avuncular, the familiar sound of Larry King will now no longer be heard. Larry King passed away this morning in Los Angeles, California. He was 87 years of age. He passed away at Cedars Sinai Medical Center from complications due to COVID-19. He was 87 years of age. I used to always look forward to Larry King daily. He was born in New York City, a Brooklyn man, a proud Brooklynite, one of Brooklyn's own. Larry King was one of the very best at what he did. He started out really in principle in Miami, Florida. He did some sports radio and then some talk radio and then grew into the legend that he became, the legend that he was. His ability to just ask the simple question rather than the overwrought one was one of the things that made him the great that he was. Larry King would engage as if he was speaking to you on a bus, on the street, at a restaurant, over the telephone. It was the most casual approach that Larry King took. 
And he was a serious interviewer. But he was a great conversationalist. That's what made Larry King the legend that he was. His ability to just casually converse. In getting the best answers, what Larry King did was to ask the simplest of questions. And where you do have some today who go on and on and on and on. And then maybe there's a question in there somewhere. Larry King was always famous for his brevity. And it was out of his brevity that some of the best and most revealing and surprising answers would come from his guests. This was especially true in the days of Larry King Live on CNN. His interviews were televised live nightly, worldwide. And that iconic studio with the dots of the world map on the wall. That microphone that would stand there. Similar, well, not too dissimilar from the one I have, although mine's probably a bit more technologically advanced, the one I'm speaking through now. And also, those suspenders that Larry would wear, or as we call it in England, braces, that he would wear on his shirt. And you'd see those suspenders every day. They'd be a different color every day. Well, more or less. And he would sit a certain way. And I always took note of the way he sat. He kind of had his shoulders slightly hunched, leaning a little forward. And that voice. Mike Tyson. I can't replicate that voice. But you've heard it, and you'll be hearing a bit more of it shortly. Larry King. He made everyone feel welcome. He made everyone feel at home. He would speak to world leaders. He would speak to people in the news on that day. He would speak to sports personalities like Mike Tyson. He would speak to music personalities, legends like Prince. He would do an interview anywhere, and he literally did. Larry King had been a legend on radio before he even came on the scene to television. But his television career was something that I enjoyed so much. Because you could really see the reaction to his question. And by the way, you could see the way he asked the question. And the question that he would ask would be the one that would be so casual. And yet in some ways, it would also be so obvious. 
It would be the obvious question. It would be the question that you and I would ask somebody. Whether we had a microphone in front of us or not. Whether we had a podcast or not. Whether or not we had a television or radio show or not. That would be the question that the viewer would want to ask. That was the one. That question. That was the question that Larry King asked and asked it on a nightly basis. There are times when you watch an interview in this day and you sit there and you wonder, well, why didn't the interviewer ask this question or that question? Why didn't the reporter ask that question or that question? Why didn't that person ask this question or the other question? You've had that moment, as have I, many times. It's that question in the room that goes begging, that hangs in the air. That particular question, the one that goes begging, the one that just wafts in the air. Larry King was the one who always asked that question. The one that you wanted the answer to. And again, it was the way he asked the question. So casually. It wasn't gotcha. It wasn't, I'm going to pin you into a corner and let's see how you get out of this one. It was a genuine attempt by Larry King to gain an answer, to get an answer. And it was all done not in the spirit of making Larry King look better, but it was done in the spirit of giving the viewer the answer and also making the conversation with the person he was seeking an answer from a conversation that flowed and making the interviewee feel at home. That's what Larry King did. And that is what he did so very, very well. Rise and um, you're not going to get anything free in life. Was every day tough? Was it those kind of, you know, as we picture neighborhoods we drive through? They're tough days, but, you know, everyone had to deal with the same environment, so it didn't, it didn't appear that way. If you take somebody that was in Beverly Hills all their life, and all of a sudden they moved it, yeah, that has to be something traumatic. But if you grow up, yeah, you don't know anything different, so yeah. it's party. What were the good aspects? There must have been fun about it. Was there fun about um, it, too? It was just, um, it was a very bizarre kind of family community where people look after one another and cared about one another, but still, again, out of the, it'll be a, a switch and a terror rage are coming and everybody's shooting in the neighborhood and it's just, you think you're watching the 20s reenactment, guys and cars shooting back and I didn't want that life anymore. Do you ever think what you would have been had you not been a fighter? I probably would have been a married person. Um, but you are a married person. If I wasn't fighting, I'd be a married person in Brooklyn somewhere. Um, driving they, a bus? I don't know if I'd be driving a bus. Probably working a decent job and complaining to my wife, well, you pay the light bills and I'm going to pay the gas bills. And we're debating about which bills are going to be paid. When did you know you could fight? 
14. Two Brooklynites talking shop. Larry King and Mike Tyson. From 1997, in November of that year, on Larry King Live. I, for somebody who, you know, I really looked forward to Larry King every night. And this was in the era that came during... The O.J. Simpson trial. I mean, that was the time that he um, really, I think, became someone well-known around the world. Um, When daily there were events in that trial, he would talk about them and he would interview legal experts and and all kinds of people. And that was one of the times that I think he um, gained a lot of traction to a lot of people who otherwise would not have tuned in to Larry King on the radio. And Larry King had just such an incredible range of guests. His show, Larry King Live, began in 1985 and went on for a long time. I mean, it was around, I think, 25 or 26 years um, that Larry King uh, Live went on on CNN. And in 1985, it began. And then in 2010... It ended. It was a marvelous program. One hour every week, day, night. Primetime television, 9 p.m. Eastern Time in the U.S. Larry King had an incredible career. And a Brooklyn youngster, a Brooklyn lad, a Brooklyn boy. And proud of it. He would always talk about himself being from Brooklyn, and it was a badge of pride. And of course it would be. Larry King would always joke about himself and (laughs) be very self-deprecating at times. And he had that wit and that humor, and he had that ability to welcome everybody. And yes, he would exaggerate how great a movie was, he would always look for that pull quote from Larry King that would say that a particular movie was the greatest movie ever. <laughs> Don't you remember that? And you'd open your newspaper or you'd see an online ad and you would have four stars and it would be the best movie ever made. <laughs> and Larry's name would appear under the quote and you know... that that was Larry King indeed. (laughs) One of the great exaggerators. (laughs) Or perhaps he genuinely meant it for every movie. And no matter how bad that movie was, (laughs) you would always see Larry's name. (laughs) You'd have a chuckle to yourself, as I always would. As I would say, and did say, Come on, Larry. (laughs) Every movie that had his name attached to a quote would always be the greatest ever. Even if it were. You know, think of your worst movie ever. Heaven's Gate. (laughs) Maybe Wonder Woman 1984. I don't know. I mean... Larry King, he would interview filmmakers, 
politicians. He interviewed many presidents. I believe he also interviewed... Well, he interviewed so many people. And he would be sure to get that interview first. He would be sure to get that conversation first. Whether he did it remotely or whether it was right in front of him in the studio, whether it was in New York or Los Angeles or somewhere else. Larry King would find a way. And he would just talk. This was an era. You have to understand. Even before the 1980s. But certainly when he really came to the brilliance of television. He was great in radio long before. Do not get me wrong. He had a sensational radio career. That endured. And still endured into this century. But I have to tell you that the key signature thing, as I've alluded to before, was his direct questions in a casual way, in a concise manner. And all he was genuinely interested in is a conversation, is getting an answer to a question that you or I might have wanted to ask. He wasn't interested in fighting with the person he spoke to. He wasn't interested in trying to make them look silly. Often they would do that themselves. Larry King's mission was to have a conversation and by extension, have you in on that conversation so that you could have that conversation with him too. That was what Larry did. And that was... In my view, his greatest gift, that ability to bring us all into a conversation and do so in a genuine, sincere and authentic way. One of the things that I have observed about interviewers today is that it is always about trying to start a fight because ratings are the thing that a television producer or a news producer is looking for. So now you've got people on the news, people on the same network that Larry King did Larry King live on for so long. Now getting into sparring matches with the people that they are supposed to be interviewing or getting information from in some way, shape or form. And it's more about the fight and the confrontation and the gotcha and the stumbling answer and the let me make news tonight with something that this person said or didn't say or said wrong. Then it is about, can we just get an interaction with some important answers to questions that are being asked? Sadly, the industry has moved away from Larry King. But Larry King, in his own inimitable style, continued to move through the industry, through the industry, his way, in the way that many of us who are of a certain age really enjoyed. 
the ability to just have a conversation. In this world, conversation means so much. And on a personal note, when I do what I am doing on this podcast, and I happen to have a guest on, it is all about the conversation. It is all about the conversation. Making your guest feel at home. And that's done with a sense of, always with a sense of, genuineness. There is not the attempt to trap somebody. There is an attempt and a goal to have a conversation. And quite frankly, that is just how Larry King did what he did and did it so very, very well. Larry King was a writer. He also wrote a column in USA Today. He had written numerous things, including a book or two here and there. Larry King would interview anybody. He would ask a question of a paper bag if he could. And he would have done it with the same kind of genuineness and respect that he always had for his guests, no matter who those guests were. Why would you want to interview people with the goal of trying to crush them? That is what interviewing is these days for a great many people who do it and are in the business of it, in the profession of it. There is an art to it. But it is a gladiator sport today. And it should never be such. Why would a guest want to come on your program if you are going to berate them, if you are going to make them uncomfortable? Larry King always made you feel at home. Larry King always was someone that pretty much anybody who was anybody and everybody who was anybody in the world of news and sports and politics and business, entertainment, etc., etc., would want to be seen with, spoken to, and heard from. And that's the, the gift of Larry King. Sometimes the way he paused in an interview and there that, that silence that you would hear. And then he would maybe ask another quick question or then he would, or maybe he might withdraw the question and you can see that he wants to ask it, but he's waiting to see if his guest will respond. There was something improvisational about what Larry did. I mean, he was able to pose a question. Maybe gently push for an answer. And then the timing 
would be there in silence enough for the response to come. And then maybe a surprise that you didn't expect that he, Larry King, did not expect from the interviewee. And then that would open the door for another question. And that would make for the great conversation. More than 30,000 interviews Larry King conducted. More than 30,000. You know, here's something that you should realize. Larry King, a lot of times, never actually read the books or the materials of his guests who would come on and promote their products or their movies. (laughs) Which goes back to what I said earlier. (laughs) The greatest movie in the history of humankind Larry King. Somebody who never felt that he knew more than you did as a viewer or a listener. Because he wanted to put himself in your shoes. As someone who genuinely was curious, who wanted to know more, who wanted to understand more. Not just about the guest, but about the environment that the guest that he was talking to found themselves in or why they did something the way they did it or why they did something at all. Larry King, with his career on radio that spanned decades, his career on television, whether it was Larry King Live or Larry King Now or politicking with Larry King, All those television programs went on right up to just a few short years ago, months ago. Larry King was the best at what he did. I'll have more thoughts and remembrances honoring the one and only Legend of Talk, Larry King. Welcome back. Larry King was one of the all-time greats. And on looking back at him, he passed away early today at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. Looking back at Larry, he had a phenomenal career. Phenomenal career. Writing, television, radio. For decades, for decades, he was a household name on the radio. And also on CNN with Larry King Live in particular. And I just remember the colored dots of the map behind him and those suspenders and... um, It was an an ordinary man who was a professional. He was a pro at what he did, and he did it naturally. There was a natural gift that Larry had, as I've been talking about here in this episode. 
It was unmistakable. You really couldn't teach what it was that Larry King had. He just knew how to talk to people. And he would talk to them in the very same way. Whether they were that day's newsmaker or whether they were a head of state. There truly would be no difference in the way that Larry King approached them conversationally. There would be no difference. Larry King had this genuine curiosity about people, about how they thought, about how they lived, about how they behaved. Larry King married seven times, or I should say eight times, but married to seven different women, not all at the same time. He married seven women, one of them married twice. So he was well loved and well cared about. I have no doubt that those dear loves in his life kept him going. They kept him going toward the area of the 90, 90 year age mark. He made it to 87. But he did not make it there without a lot of love and care and support from the women in his life over the decades. Some of those marriages were longer than others. But all in all, Larry King was well loved and respected and cared for and cared about. And those women no doubt kept him going. I do want to actually say thank you to them, by the way, because I think it is easy and very sadly commonplace for people when they do tributes to great people, particularly great men, to not really spend any time talking about the women in their lives. I mean, in this case, Larry King was a straight man. So within that context, it is easy for us to not say, well, you know what? It was this particular person who helped sustain him, who had it not been for her, he might have taken another turn. And I don't just say that in an ornamental way. I say that in a genuine wholehearted, holistic way that nobody does this on their own. No matter how great the person may be, no matter how loved or respected one might be, nobody gets to a certain place by themselves. Along the way, they get help. They get assistance. They get love. They get care. They get wise counsel. And no doubt, the women in Larry King's life 
were the driving forces. They were the ones. And I do think that it's important to mention that someone who lived to the age of 87 would not get to that age, quite frankly, in my honest view, without the love, the sacrifice, the counsel of the women in his life. And Larry along the way married Frida Miller and Annette Kay and Eileen Atkins or Akins, Mickey Sutphin and Sharon Lepore, Julie Alexander and Sean Southwick and all of them. Sustained him. I want to thank all of them, by the way. It must have been difficult because Larry King poured his heart and soul into his work. His heart and soul. Talk show host, sportscaster, radio show host. Miami, that's where he started. And then he did all kinds of programs. I mean, he had UFO guests on. I mean, he had guests who believed in. He had Yuri Geller on, the magician, you know, the guy that would bend the spoon. You remember Yuri Geller if you're of a certain age. You know who Yuri Geller is, was. I mean, Everybody who was anybody was a Larry King guest. He'd even been arrested once. I think it was back in the 1970s. And it was for some kind of, I don't know what it was. Someone made, I think someone in his line of work at the time, sports, because I think that was when he was in Miami. And he was arrested um, for something. I don't know if it was embezzlement or whatever it was, but he was arrested. Yeah, Larry King. That's something that you probably didn't know about Larry. He made these commercials. <laughs> Remember the commercials? I think those, um, was it those Omega commercials or something, Omega-3 ads? He would make them, these supplements. And again, it was just that voice. You know, if I had to, if I had to just... Take one thing. If someone asked me right now, one thing that I remembered most about Larry King, it would be his voice. It really would be his voice. He was on Twitter a lot. He loved that, at King's Things. King's Things. Yeah, you know, that... that had a ring to it. It sure did. We're back in New York tonight. Never know where we are. Uh, this is our Millennium Month on Larry King Live. Tomorrow night, a tribute to Frank Sinatra. He, he would have been 84 years old this Sunday. We'll replay an interview tomorrow. And among the guests next week will be Ted Turner and Peter Jennings and Jim Carrey and President Gerald Ford and President Bill Clinton. That's all next week. It's a great pleasure to have with us tonight the artist formerly known as Prince. 
His first album in three years has just been released. It's called Rave Unto the Joy Fantastic. There you see the cover of the CD. And for the artist, the obvious first question is, why three years? Well, um, there's a few things I want to get out of my system, mainly uh, the uh, Crystal Ball Project, which was uh, uh, a reissue of a lot of the bootlegs that have been coming out all over the world. I'm probably one of the most bootlegged artists out there. I wanted to clean that up and get the real good mixes out and let people hear what they're really supposed to sound like, ever, if ever given the chance to complete them. So that's the reason for this space of time. Um, yeah, uh, we did a couple other projects. I was working with uh, Shaka Khan. I did an album with her, uh, uh, Larry Graham. Graham. She's terrific. Yeah. Oh, she what can you? What can an artist do about bootlegging? Um, what the best thing you can do is uh, go back and get those mixes again, and fix them up the way you always saw them uh, completed, and then you know reissue. Do, does, the, does the listener know if they buy one of these in Germany that this isn't what you intended? Um, a lot of my so-called fans do, and uh, they uh, they actually thrive off the fact that it's stolen property. Yeah. You are you would admit yourself an unusual personality. Uh, depends. I mean, well, let's say you're different. As compared to what? As compared to most people in, let's say, show business, you're an unusual person. Most people don't get famous with one name and then change it, right? Would you say? What's the story of that, by the way? Uh, well, I um, uh, I had searched deep within my heart and spirit, and I wanted to uh, uh, make a change and move to a new plateau in my life. And one of the ways in which I did that was to change my name. It sort of divorced me from the past and all the hang-ups that go along with it. I was, uh, uh, as it's been well uh, chronicled in uh, deep uh, dispute with uh, my record label. And Which is Warner Brothers, right? Yeah. Which owns this network, I might add. Just oh, they do? Throw, yeah, what? <laughs> they, um, we had some issues that were basically about ownership of the music and how often I was supposed to record and things like that. Uh, we got along otherwise. Uh, we just had uh, came to head uh, uh, and in those types of... Uh, so there was no clash over what you would record or what kind of music you were singing, etc.? No, no, no. None no, of that? No, no creative issues whatsoever. That was none other than Prince at the time, known as The Artist. That was from December the 10th of 1999. It was a great interview that Larry King did with Prince who, as you know, was famous for doing very, very few interviews. And he did interviews really with the people that he really liked and trusted. And those were the only kinds of people you would see Prince speaking to. And that was a tribute to Larry King, is that Larry King was not the person that you came to watch Larry King live for, if you remember watching it over those 25 years he did it from 1985 to 2010. Larry King's guests were the reason to watch Larry King live. Larry King was, if I may say, old, reliable. 
You knew what you were going to get from him. Because he did the procedural thing that he'd been doing for many years. (coughs) Excuse me. He did the procedural thing that he had been doing for many years. So you knew what you were going to get from Larry. But it was what you got from Larry that made you want to watch the guest. Because you wanted to watch what the guest was going to give back, not just to Larry, but to all of us. And if it wasn't for that style that Larry had, that easygoing, unassuming, genuine conversational style, you know, the kind that Dick Cavett had back in the day before. You know, the kind that Tom Snyder would have as well back in the day. And others that go back even further than those two. If it wasn't for that style, that smooth, conversational, casual, genuineness, a sense of innocence in the way that the questions were being asked of the guest. I dare say that not only would guests like Prince never have come on, but a lot of the audience probably wouldn't have tuned in either. There is only so much of the hectoring and the confrontation and the gotcha question that I believe people can take. And sadly, we've been conditioned now over these last 10, 20 years to get used to that kind of thing. Tim Russett was able to hybrid both of those. He had a conversational style and he married it with the confrontational. But it was all done in the spirit, the same spirit that Larry King did what he did. Larry King got all of the great guests that he got from all walks of life because he was genuine, because he was curious, and and because he made his guests, as I said earlier, feel at home. Prince had been known as a very shy individual, one of the creative powerhouses of musicianship that we have ever seen on this planet. And yet, as you heard in that clip, he was so comfortable, very comfortable talking to Larry King. Even in the quiet voice that Prince always had, except when he was on stage or in a recording studio. He was very comfortable. I'm actually going to post a link to that interview. Because it's an interview you really should watch. But that's what made that interview always work. That's what made all of these interviews Larry King did work. Is the way he would punctuate the silence with a quick question. 
And it literally was as if Larry King was just talking only to Prince. Which, I mean, he was doing. But he included us all in that conversation. I, I cannot stress enough how Larry King did that so well. And in an era where today, and I've seen many of these interviews, I've seen many of the moderators who do events, I've done them myself before live audiences. Larry King didn't necessarily do that, although he did field a lot of phone calls, certainly during his career on Larry King Live, which was a good thing as well. He interacted with people on Twitter. He interacted with phone calls that came in live. But one of the things that I have observed many a moderator do when speaking to a guest in this day is to behave as if there is no audience there. And in that manner, I am referring to people who literally think they are conducting a fireside chat with a guest in a room full of people such as in a moment or in many moments I've witnessed here in San Francisco, for example, where in a large movie theater, back when you could have people together in a movie theater, there would be, say, 600 or 700 people. And you'd literally have a moderator sitting there talking to the guest, a film director or an actor. And talk to them as if they are in the room by themselves with them. While disregarding these six or seven hundred people in the audience. Not giving them a chance to interact. Not trying to interact with the audience. I've seen that happen many times. Larry King had the ability to make you feel as if you were part of the conversation that he was having with his guest. And that conversation could be one of the most intimate conversations. And yet you still felt that you were a part of that. Whether you were watching from home or whether you were listening on the radio, no matter where you were in the world, that was the gift of Larry King. And I think that no one interviews quite like that. I mean, there are some people, I mean, quite frankly, I would say Howard Stern can say that he probably learned a lot from Larry King. I think both of them were from Brooklyn. I mean, Harry, Howard Stern is still with us. I think Howard Stern is also originally from Brooklyn. I may be wrong about that. Those of you who are king of all media fans. But Howard Stern has that similar style. He's not quite as good at it, of course, as Larry King was, but he does have that same conversational interview style, except, of course, he's a bit more crude. <laughs> but he does it genuinely, and he does ask those kinds of more crude, I don't know, maybe crude isn't the best word, but the kinds of things that we as human beings do sit there and wonder. You know, some of us who will see a couple walking down the street and they're is something about that couple, couple visually. And then some of us will sit there and we'll think, hmm, I wonder how they do it in bed. You know? And I, you know, that's something that 
Some of us, some of you, might have ever thought in your life at least once. You see a couple and you do wonder that. And Howard Stern is the one who will ask that question out loud, right? If you've listened to Howard Stern at all, ever in your life, that's the question that Howard Stern would ask. And then he'd go deeper than that. And he'd go on and he'd go on and he'd go on. <laughs> and so Howard Stern, I think, has tapped into a little of that as well. Except he does it on a more R-rated slash X-rated type of way. I don't even know if that, that sounds really old fashioned to say X-rated. Because um, <laughs> I am that old. <laughs> But really, this is, this is, he is probably somebody who, knew how to, and knows how to do the kind of thing that Larry King did. Although Larry King, again, was someone who, um, he was inquisitive and he was curious. And that's why the guests that came on Larry King were comfortable. And it wasn't just that Larry King had this legendary career of 40 years plus in, you know, 50, 60 years plus in radio and television. That's not why. It's because he made them feel comfortable and they felt safe and they felt protected. They felt that they were not going to be ambushed. They felt that they would not be exposed they felt that they were not going to have all of their dirty, intimate laundry splayed across the airwaves. That's what's done today. And I think it's disgusting. I think that, yes, there's the right to critique and criticize. Lord knows I do it. <laughs> I mean, I am not Larry King, of course. And I was never seeking to be. We all have our own ways and styles. But one thing that I would never do is to embarrass somebody that I am having a conversation with. And, you know, there are people who attempt to embarrass you while you're having the conversation with them. Right? That happens. You have interview guests who will try to do that. Some of them. Or disrespect you. And that won't get very far with me. And hasn't. Because they've simply not come back on. Because I've not asked them to. Or because they just will not get an invite from me. <laughs> and I'm confident enough, even in this stage of a few hundred episodes of this podcast, to say that. Because that's just the way it is. <laughs> but Larry King, one of the timeless masters he would always make news but not because of something he said but it would always be some response to a question that he asked that would make the news 
when I return. One example of that. We're back. A couple more phone calls on this very important topic. Our guests are former United States Senator Howard Baker, Richard Allen, former National Security Advisor, and Lois Romano of the Washington Post. San Luis Obispo, California. Hello. Yes, hello. Um, I'm wondering what um, a, a, a staffer uh, would do, do besides go to the press in Washington. My daughter has just left there uh, after working for a prominent senator and could not get through with her problems at all. And the only thing she could have done was go to the press, and she chose not to do it out of respect for him. Or she had a story to tell, but out of respect for the person she worked for, she didn't tell it. That's true. Well, now, but these are the people who do come to the Lois Romanos, right? The mm-hmm. staff worker who says, I want to let you know about what's going this on, either going with my boss or the guy down the hall. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these people have a sense of obligation. They feel that this public official should be accountable if it's something wrong. They're whistleblowers to the press. Exactly. Welcome back. That was the example of news being made, and maybe not in its time of 1993, when that audio happened on Larry King's show, Larry King Live on CNN. But almost 30 years on, that clip has made news. If you remember, just a year ago, in fact, less than a year ago, that clip resurfaced and Tara Reid, whom has said for a number of months and a year or two now, if not more, that the now president of the United States, Joe Biden, had raped her and did so in a corridor or stairwell or cove of the Senate building in Washington, D.C. back in the 1990s. Literally, um, I believe that year, 1993, that news clip was one that reverberated around the world again in 2020. Larry King, who innocently was saying to the guests, one he had in the studio and another two that he had in satellite locations and said, you know, well, this is where you go. This is how you uh, report this, right? They'd want to come to you, right, Lois? They're Lois Romanos. That's who they'd come to. The voice you heard on the telephone was the voice of the mother of Tara Reid. And that was one of the things that a lot of us, including myself, seized upon. This, at the time, contemporaneous um, documentation of an event. An event. Well, this was not just an event. This was a rape. That the mother of Tara Reid was diplomatically trying to explain and saying that because of the power imbalance which gave this air of respect to this particular senator from Delaware, Joe Biden, she would not report what he had done to her.
Larry, Larry King made news in that way. And as I said earlier, it wasn't him who made the news in that um, for his sake. It was he made news because there was something that his guest or callers in this case would say based on a question he posed or a topic he discussed or a conversation that was going on. And that was really exhibit A right there. Larry King knew how to make you comfortable. If there was anything I was going to say about Larry King, that would be one of the other things I would say about him. And he made you feel like you could do not only what he did, but you could actually get to speak to people who would often present this veneer of unapproachability. People who were thoroughly unattainable. But he was able to melt that wall because people trusted him. Those people in power or out of power trusted Larry King. That too, his ability to have people trust him, his trustworthiness, that he would take care of you in the casual, avuncular, Brooklyn way that Larry King did, at least in his own personable way. And that way made me one of the biggest fans of Larry King. Goodbye, Larry. You truly were the very best. And I will miss you, sir. And Brooklyn says hello. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. <laughs>